Our Old Testament passage today picks up in Numbers chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. So here is the promise. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. All right, so when you want inspectors, when you want people to inspect the promise, God says send top leaders. Now they should be the most mature. Now you're going to see here in a little while, not necessarily. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of power and according to the command of the Lord, and all of them were heads of the people of Israel. And these were their names from the tribe of Reuben, Shamua, the son of Zakur, from the tribe of Simeon, Shapat, the son of Hori, the tribe of Judah, Caleb, we're going to see his name more later, the son of Jehunah, from the tribe of Issachar, Igal, the son of Joseph, from the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea, the son of Nun, from the tribe of Benjamin, Balti, the son of Raphu, from the tribe of Zebulun, Gadiel, the son of Sodi, from the tribe of Joseph, that is, from the tribe of Manasseh, Gadi, the son of Susi, from the tribe of Dan, Amiel, the son of Gamil, from the tribe of Asher, Shetur, the son of Michal, from the tribe of Natali, Nabi, the son of Bzopsi, and from the tribe of Gad, Geul, the son of Maki. These were the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Ashua, the son of Nun, Joshua. And Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up to the Negev and into all the hill country. Now notice two areas. Now if you look at Israel, Israel is kind of, comes down to a, well, I'm drawing that wrong. Israel is going to come down to a point like this, all right? This area, this would be the Sinai Peninsula. This would be Egypt. This is the Negev. So this is the south. Now the hill country, that's up in here. That is in the north. So in other words, spy out the whole land. And see what the land is, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now it is the time of the season of the first ripe figs. Now notice, we want to see what the land is. All right, we want to talk about the people. Are they strong or weak? Are they few or many? We want to see whether the land is good or bad. We want to see whether the cities are camps or strongholds. We want to see whether the land is rich or poor. We want to see whether the land has trees or no trees. And we want to see whether there's some fruit in the land. So he said, I want you to see seven things, but notice, no decisions, just information. Now, this is where they got in trouble because they were asked to gather information and instead they wanted to make decisions. Now, when you and I are told to do something by God, when a promise is made to us by God, we have to learn to stop making decisions and just check things out, all right? So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin to, to Rehob near Lebo Hamath. And they went up into the Negev and came to Hebron. Ahiman, Sheshai, and Talmud, the descendants of Anak, were there. Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. And they came to the valley of Ishkol and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes and carried it on a pole. 
That is huge. Between the two of them, and they also brought some pomegranates and figs. Now, every year when we go there, we eat grapes, we drink a lot of pomegranate juice, and we eat a lot of figs, okay? I like the fresh figs, I like the dried figs, I mean, I like all figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster that the people of Israel cut down from there. At the end of 40 years, they returned from spying out the land. They came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they said, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and here is its fruit. However, now they enter into decisions. They enter into decisions. The people who dwell there are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. In other words, the giants. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. Now, this would have been Jerusalem. Remember, not until King David did the Jebusites get kicked out of Jerusalem. And the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. So, all right. So, the Canaanites dwell in Haifa and Jaffa and what we call Tel Aviv and that whole beautiful plain. And they dwelt in the plains along the Jordan River. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are able, for we are well able, not just able, we are well able to overcome it. Then the the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able, because they are stronger than we are. All right, here's that decision. This is faith. See, Caleb already, faith hears unbelief and attempts to intervene. Faith hears unbelief beginning to come up, and he tries to intervene, but they shot him down. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land they had spied out. Now, here's the definition of a bad report. We can not do it. That's a bad report. They, they said the land was wonderful, It's everything God said it would be. The difference between a good report and a bad report is faith. Caleb had a good report. We can do it. The ten had a bad report. We can't do it. The land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people we saw there are of great height. And we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, these are the giants, who come from the Nephilim. And we ourselves, we seemed to ourselves, self-image. Self-image, like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. You know, unbelief destroys self-image. Get a hold of that, all right? Get a hold of that. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, Would we have died in Egypt, or that would we have died in this wilderness? Now now look at this. You see, the difference between can do and not do, do you believe 
the promise. God said, I'm giving it to you. They all saw the same facts. The difference between a can do and a cannot do, do you believe the promise of God? Now, the other thing I want you to see here is fear is contagious. If you think for a second that COVID-19 is contagious, fear went through over a million people in a matter of moments. Fear is the most contagious thing that there is. Now, when fear begins to set in, they said, oh, why is the Lord bringing us to this land to fall by the swords? Our wives and our little ones become prey. It would be better to us to go back to Egypt. So fear, fear wants the past. Fear always wants the past. Let's go back to the past. They said, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Wow. All right. So faith follows God's leader. Fear chooses a new leader. Fear will always choose a leader that will take you to what's comfortable. Faith follows a leader that will take you into the promises of God. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation and all the people. And Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jehunah, who were among those who spied out the land, tore their clothes, and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land that we have passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us. Hey, he said, this is all about God. All about God. He said, God will bring us in. God will give this to us. You see, fear, fear looks at human ability. Faith focuses on God's ability. Oh, I like that. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land. They are bread for us. Now notice, fear is the path to rebellion. Wow. You want to know why people get in rebellion? Fear. You want to know why Judas got into rebellion? Fear. They feared the future and got into rebellion. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. <laughs> all right, so fear wants to destroy faith. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting and to all the people of Israel. Wow. God interrupts. Fear Fear is destructive, and you got to get a hold of that. Fear does not tolerate dissent. Fear does not tolerate dissent. Moses, and the Lord said to Moses, how long would this people despise me? That means to think little of. That's that, when, when you despise somebody, you're thinking little of them. He said, how long will these people think so small of me? How long will they not believe in me? 
in spite of all the signs I have done among them? So he says, all right, they despise me. They don't believe in me, but they've seen all the miracles. He said, I will strike them with pestilence and I will disinherit them. He said, they're not going to get the promised land. And I will make you into a nation greater and mightier than they are. So, all right. So God was going to start all over. So God says, all right, Moses, we're going to start all over. You're going to be the father of this nation, not Abraham. But Abraham said to the Lord, the Egyptians will hear of it, for you brought this people in your might from among them. And they will tell the inhabitants of this land that they have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of his people. For you, O Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands over them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill this people as one man, then the nations who have heard of your fame will say, it is because the Lord is not able to bring this people in the land that he swore to give them, that he has killed them in the wilderness. God's reputation. God's name. God's name, God's reputation. That's what Moses was concerned about. And Moses said, God, you know what these people are like? They're going to twist this thing. You know, they're going to take a truth, all right? You killed them. And they're going to twist this thing into a lie and make you look bad, God. Now, here is Moses in intercession. Here is Moses in intercession, using his influence with God. He said, God, I'm concerned about your name. And now, please, let the power of the Lord be great as you have promised, saying. And now he reminds God, the Lord is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. Moses' lesson in the cleft of the rock. Now, if I wasn't talking with you live right now, I'd put the verses in there. See, when God took Moses out of Egypt, all Moses had ever seen was the judgment, hell, fire, and brimstone of God. And Moses said, I want to see you. I want to know you. So God hid him in the cleft of the rock as his glory went by and then pronounced his name, the Lord, the Lord, the gracious and compassionate one, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness for a thousand generations. And Moses reminds God, this is who you said you are. <laughs> God, I'm reminding you of what you told me. You told me that you're slow to anger. You told me that you're abounding in steadfast love, love that never stops. You told me that you forgive iniquity and transgression. He said, God, I'm asking for what you told me that you're like. But he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation. He said, please pardon the iniquity of this people. Please pardon according to the greatness of your steadfast love. He said, God, we have no right to ask for forgiveness. But because of your love, forgive them. Just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. But truly as I live, and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, 
and yet have put me to the test these ten times that have not obeyed my voice. In other words, God said, I'm done. I'm done with this group of people. He said, they know me. They know my power. And yet they keep putting me to the test ten times and have not obeyed my voice. He said, none of these people shall see the land I swore to give to their fathers. And none of those who despised me will see it. When you think little of God, <laughs> you get no miracles. <laughs> when you think little of God, you're not going to see the promises. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully. Two things about Caleb and Joshua. A different spirit and followed me fully. He said, listen, this guy did what was right. I will bring into the land into which he went and his descendants shall possess it. Now since the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valleys, turn tomorrow and set out for the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long will this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Wow. 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 See, this is like Jesus speaks about, we're judged by our own words. Go put the verse reference in. He said, your dead body shall fall in this wilderness and all of your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward who have grumbled against me. All right, so anybody who's over 20 years old would never enter the promised land. But if you were 20, 40 years later when you were 60, you would see the promised land. If you were 10 years old, 40 years later, when you were 50, you would see the promised land. So even these ones who were younger, they weren't going to enjoy a lot of time there. No one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell except Caleb, the son of Jehunah, and Joshua, the son of Nun. He said, those are the only ones that are going to come in. But your little ones, whom you said would become prey, I will bring them in. And they shall know the land that you have rejected. Now notice, they rejected God's promise. See, when you walk away from a promise of God because you're looking at your own ability and you're afraid, you're actually rejecting it. He said, but as for you, your dead body shall fall in the wilderness, and your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years, and you shall suffer for your faithlessness until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness. Now, isn't it amazing? He still fed them. Their clothes didn't wear out. Their shoes didn't wear out for 40 years. Even when they were faithless, God was faithful. According to the number of days in which you spied out the land, 40 days, a year for each, year, each day, you shall bear the, your iniquity 40 years, and so you shall know my displeasure. I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this I will do to all this wicked congregation, who gathered together against me in this wilderness, they shall come to a full end, and there they shall die. And the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, who returned, and made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing up a bad report about the land. 
The man who brought up the bad report died by a plague before the Lord. There's another wow. There are consequences on leaders who stir up disbelief in God. Now, you just have to get a hold of that. There are consequences on leaders who stir up disbelief against God's plans and God's will. Of those men who went to spy out the land, only Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jehuna, remained alive. So there are consequences for leaders who destroy faith. You can go meditate on that one for a while. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some time in worship.
Our New Testament passage today picks up in Mark chapter 15, beginning with verse 33. When the sixth hour had come, now Jesus is on the cross, all right, so just remember where he is. And there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, so there's three hours of darkness. Now this darkness started at the sixth hour. This is when the high priest begins the processional. Now can you imagine how all the people of Jerusalem felt when all of a sudden everything is dark in the middle of the day? Okay, everything is just dark in the middle of the day. Everybody would have gone home. So the high priest had a very lonely processional this time this year because he had been dismissed as high priest. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing that this is when Jesus became sin. And you can look up the verse and put it there, he who knew no sin became sin. This is when the sins from eternity past to eternity future were all placed upon Jesus. And the father turns and looks away. And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he's calling Elijah. Well, Eloi, Elijah, Eloi. You can imagine how that could happen. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, vinegar, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and take him down. So there's still some who wonder, Is this really the Messiah? And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, if this is the temple, this is the holy place, and this is the holy of holies. What separates it is this curtain right here. Back here is the Ark of the Covenant with the table of, with the um, uh, the pot of manna and the Aaron's rod that budded, all of that is back here inside, and the seraphim are over the top of it. But this curtain was about as thick as a man's hand, okay? It was a hand's breadth. It was a very thick, heavy curtain. And that curtain is Jesus. And you can look up that verse also. Paul teaches us that Christ was the curtain. Now, I want you to notice, at the ninth hour, that is exactly when the high priest would be inside the Holy of Holies, sprinkling the blood upon the Ark of the Covenant. That, at that time, Jesus breathes his last, the veil is torn, and now Jesus is the way. Now, throughout Israel's history, Christianity was called the way. Now, among the Gentiles were called Christians or Christ-like. That started in Antioch. But among the Jews, Christianity was called the way because everything about Jesus was the way to the Father, the access to the Father. You no longer, there was no longer any separation. Jesus was the curtain that was torn into. Everybody had access to the glory. Everybody had access to the presence of God. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom was Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the Younger, and, jo and of Joseph and Salmoni. Okay? 
the mother of James the Younger and, and Joseph, and Salmani is the third. So there's three women there. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. So the entourage of Jesus contains the twelve, probably contains another 70-plus of men that were being trained, and contained a large group of women. And they followed and they learned at the feet of Jesus also. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who himself was looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Now, now this is significant. So we see here, this is a member of the Sanhedrin. He would have known Paul. There's just a handful of these men. He would have known Paul, member of the Sanhedrin. He would have been there at the illegal trial of Jesus in Caiaphas' house. He would have been there at the legal trial of Jesus in the Sanhedrin in the stone chamber in the temple courts. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. He would have seen all of this. But now, he, he was different. This is a different man. Just like we saw that Caleb had a different spirit, this man also had a different spirit. He didn't agree with everything that was going on, but he was silent. He was respected, and he did not want to lose that position. But now, he had to take courage. Now he had to take a stand. Now he had to take a stand for Jesus. Before this, he had not found the courage. Now he takes a stand. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. Why? Crucifixion took time. Part of it was the Romans bringing as much pain and suffering as they could to a human person before they died to stop other people from doing things. It was the cruelest form of punishment. I mean, talk about cruel and unusual punishment. It, it, that's what it was. It was a very slow. People sometimes took days to die hanging on the cross. And, you know, in some of those days, birds would come and pluck their eyeballs out while they're still alive. See, a person who dies on the cross basically dies from suffocation. Their arms are stretched out and nailed. Their feet are on a small platform and nailed. And in order to breathe, they have to pull themselves up and push themselves up with their legs to get their diaphragm to take a breath. But now after a season, or after a few days, or after how many hours, the, the arms begin to come out of all their sockets. And sometimes arms are up to 12 inches longer. Okay, I mean, I read one account. Some arms were 12 inches longer after crucifixion because the, the people struggled to get a breath. It was meant to be a slow, agonizing death. So this guy was really surprised that, that Jesus was already dead because they didn't kill him. Jesus laid down his life. He said, no man takes my life. He said, I lay it down. <laughs> when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. Now notice the corpse. Jesus was dead. Now, you know, there are some people that want to act like yeah, he was just in a coma or something, and he was just unconscious. But no, it was a corpse that was given to Joseph. 
The centurion knew that. Pilate made sure of that. Joseph and Joseph bought a linen shroud and taken him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock and rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laying. Now when you come with us to Israel, we'll go to a place called the Garden Tomb and it's all, you know, fenced off like this. And right here, there's a parking lot today. It's sad because there was a group of Christians who had an opportunity to buy this in the 80s and did not. But this would be Golgotha, all right? This over here, this is the garden tomb. And we often, in fact, almost every time because we have a large group, we have a beautiful little place here under tent covers where we have seats. And between the cross and the empty tomb, we have a little service every year in Israel. And it's beautiful. We, we talk about what it means that Jesus did for us. And we celebrate communion. We pray for the sick. Sometimes I, well, every time, I like to go over there earlier. I get, I get there before the tour gets there. I get there before everybody else. Because I like to just be over there. I mean, this is, this is the place where the whole world changed. And I, I love to watch everybody go in and look in the tomb. Now, it used to be you could go in and touch things, and you could actually sit down, and, but now they've got everything with steel grates and things because there were some people who kind of tore things up. But it's a very beautiful place to be, to remember. That's where Jesus died on a hill called Golgotha, the place that looks like the skull. And this is where Jesus rose again. <laughs> what a beautiful salvation we have. All right. A little bit of wisdom before we go today. Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs 13, beginning with verse 9. Can I read it to you from the New Living Translation today? The life of the godly is full of light and joy, but the light of the wicked will be snuffed out. Wow, that's pretty strong stuff. Pride leads to conflict. Those who take advice are wide. So what causes conflict? Pride. Now, I like the ESV. By insolence comes nothing but strife. Insolence is pride combined with disrespect. And you see a lot of that in people today. Pride combined with disrespect. And from it comes nothing but strife. These people, everything they do brings strife. But with those who take advice is wisdom. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. There's no get rich quick, no get rich. No get rich plans in God. See, because when people live like this, they have this attitude of easy come, easy go. And they're not careful with money. Wealth gained hastily dwindles because you don't respect it. But whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow, makes it increase. All right. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. When, when people have hope for something and they never see it, it depresses you. But a desire fulfilled is the tree of life. Ah, oh, the promises. 
the promises of God, as God fulfills the desires of your heart, it's like a tree of life. It's constantly bringing encouragement to you. Whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the command will be rewarded. Now that's beautiful. When you despise, that means to think little. When you think little of the word of God, you bring destruction on yourself. But when you respect, when you respect the commandments, there's reward. All right, we'll see you tonight, seven o'clock sharp.